Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Here's how this podcast works. Each week we begin with about 7 to 10 minutes on the weekly parsha, hence the name 7-Minute Torah. You'll either hear me, or you'll hear me in conversation with a Jewish thought leader. After that, if you want to stick around, we often continue with a bonus interview where we talk about all things Jewish. Welcome to week two of the Joseph Saga. Last week we met Joseph as a 17-year-old kid who ticked off his brothers by telling them his dreams of grandeur, and who got himself thrown into a pit, sold into slavery in Egypt, accused of a crime, and thrown in jail. When we left Joseph last week, he had just interpreted the dreams of two of Pharaoh's courtiers, and we had a sense that that could lead to bigger and better things for him, which is, of course, exactly how this parsha begins. This week we're reading from Miketz, and Miketz is the story of how Joseph goes from slave in jail to grand vizier over all Egypt. The story, in very brief, is that he's called to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has had these strange and disturbing dreams where he sees seven fat cows being eaten by seven skinny cows and then seven beautiful ears of grain being consumed by seven sickly ears of grain. Joseph interprets the dream to mean that seven good years are coming, followed by seven years of famine. And he gives Pharaoh some advice. You should find a steward find an administrator to oversee Egypt for the next 14 years so that we can store food and save food and have enough when the famine comes. Pharaoh gives him the job on the spot. By the end of this Parsha, Joseph will be the number two person in the most powerful empire in the world. And his brothers, who he hasn't seen since they threw him in a pit decades ago, will come back to him begging for food. And that'll be the story that we talk about next week. But what interests me most this week is what happens in the middle of all that. Right after Joseph interprets the dreams and advises Pharaoh to find a solid administrator, Pharaoh says to his courtiers, Could we find another person like him who has the spirit of God in him, which is to say creativity and wisdom? And so Pharaoh immediately puts Joseph in charge of this whole project. The Torah says, The Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Then he had him dressed in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck. He had him ride in a chariot of the second in command. Thus he placed him over all the land of Egypt. And not only that, but the Pharaoh also gives Joseph a new name, a new spouse, and in some ways, a new life. It says, The Pharaoh gave Joseph the name of Tsofnat Paneach, and he gave him for a wife, Osnat, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And we learn a little further that Joseph and his new wife, Osnat, have two children, Menashe, whose name means, God has made me forget completely my hardship and my parental home, and Ephraim, whose name means, God has made me fertile in the land of my affliction. 
So let's take a step back and see what we've got here. In an instant, Joseph rises meteorically from jail to government. He gets new clothes, he gets jewelry, he has a new job, he's known all over the land of Egypt, he has a special chariot, and at the same time, he's building a life for himself, a wife, two kids, and a new name. I can't imagine this is the life that Joseph imagined for himself growing up as a shepherd in Canaan, but he seems to adapt to it nicely, and the name of his wife, his children, and actually of himself indicate that Joseph is making himself at home in Egypt. It's interesting that one of the first things he does is change his name, take an Egyptian name. It's equally interesting that he marries an Egyptian woman, in fact, the daughter of an Egyptian priest, and there's no mention of any conversion, of course, because there would have been no such thing. It's doubly interesting that the names of Joseph's children, Menashe and Ephraim, have to do with forgetting about the place where he came from and prospering here in this place. Now, some of the rabbinic commentators would have us believe that Joseph's wife, Osnat, is actually a relative of his, that she's the daughter of his sister, Dina, who in a roundabout way came to be adopted here in Egypt. But of course, there's no indication of that in the text, and it probably tells us more about the rabbi's discomfort with intermarriage than about anything having to do with the Joseph story. What we really have here is the story of Joseph assimilating into Egyptian society, or maybe more accurately, Joseph living his life as a diaspora Jew. We see Joseph taking on Egyptian folkways, his name, his language, the names of his children. We don't ever see, however, that he abandons being Jewish. Now, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that it's a complete anachronism to refer to either Jewish or diaspora in the time of Joseph, because of course there was no Jewish people, there was no diaspora, there was no sense of peoplehood yet. We're talking about a family who lived in a certain land. But if we imagine these stories to have been written down in a time when there was a sense of peoplehood and a sense of diaspora, then we can see that the Torah is telling a story about what it is to live as an Israelite in another land. In fact, this isn't so different from our own experience in modern times. We speak the language of North America or whatever country we live in. Many of us have a secular name in addition to our Jewish or Hebrew name. We may or may not marry somebody who's also of the Jewish people. Our children are sometimes among the only Jewish kids in their schools, at least that was my experience in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And yet, you can live a rich and fulfilling Jewish life no matter where you are. And that seems to be one of the messages of the Torah. Joseph never stops being an Israelite. By the end of the Parsha, when he sees his brothers again, he's so overcome with emotion that he has to step out of the room and cry. His connection with the Jewish people and the Jewish way of life has not been broken by the fact that he's living his life in Egypt, that he has one foot in the society around him. We often think of the Torah as being land of Israel-centric. I mean, that's where the Israelites are hoping to get back to. And it is. That is the ultimate goal of the Torah. But in this parsha, the Torah gives an indication that it also recognizes that Jewish life, real Jewish life, can happen anywhere in Egypt, in Babylonia, in the United States or Canada or whatever countries we live in. 
So in the end, Joseph is a kind of a model for us as well, of maintaining a Jewish connection while living as a minority. He does it imperfectly. It seems like he kind of throws away a whole lot at the beginning, but he ultimately finds his way back to it. So much so that to this day, it's traditional to bless your children on Friday night in the names of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Menashe. So by telling this story, the Torah validates for us that our Jewish lives are valid. Not that the land of Israel doesn't matter. It's incredibly central. It matters a lot. But that there's a good and a holy and a legitimate Jewish life to be had wherever you are. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Hey there, Rabbi Micah Streifer here. I want to invite you to continue the conversation in our new Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search 7-Minute Torah Listen and Discuss. Then you can join the group and join the conversation. See you there. Thanks for listening to 7-Minute Torah. If you enjoyed this program, please leave a review or a comment. And please pass it on to a friend. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week.